For June 4th, 2018, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 518, Compensating for Unhappiness by Attempting to be Awesome. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. You know what? We're like an X-Force of analysis, jumping out of the airplane of discourse into the windstorm of culture. Uh, and today, we're never happier than when we're talking about the film Deadpool uh, together, Deadpool 2. Now, we took a pass on this one a couple weeks ago because we actually were not uh, all able to see it in time, but uh, we're circling back. We're circling back to Deadpool 2 to talk about this film. We've got some hot, hot, hot toasty takes uh, on Deadpool. Spoilers for uh, spoilers for the film. Um, but, uh, but it begins with the death of the title character and then only gets, uh, only gets better from there. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends, Matthew Belinke. X Force, <laughs> Peter Fenzel. You got some on your own size. <laughs> Jordan Stokes. Uh, hi. And <laughs> oh, and I went out of alphabetical order. That's my bad. Mark Lee. My mutant power is not being in the right position of the alphabet. <laughs> oh, you changed the very structure of the alphabet itself. All right. Well, guys, let's just dive in. I mean, we have this, uh, we have this um, extended panel on this show. It's, it's, it's great. It's like we're a team of super thinkers, uh, you know, getting ready to overthink this movie. So I want, to, uh, I want to start by interrogating a claim that the movie makes about itself. It says, this is a movie, Ryan Reynolds says at the beginning, this is a family movie, a movie about family. And he goes on to make a joke, which is that like most family movies, and he gives the example of Bambi, it begins with a grisly murder. Um, and it, uh, it certainly does. And, uh, uh, and, you know, proceeds from there. So, uh, this claim, this, this, uh, is, 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 this is a family movie. Is that in fact, Accurate. Let's go to Pete, who will undoubtedly give us a straightforward monosyllabic answer. <laughs> I was going to say, every question you ask me, I always answer a qualified yes, right? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you guys, you guys can give me your take on it. I want to hear it as well. Thinking about it, my take is that this movie is a farce. Uh, And a lot of farces are rooted in an uncomfortable truth that runs counter to the structures and taboos of society. And I think that the uncomfortable truth in Deadpool 2 is that families come from screwing. And so Deadpool, (laughs) Deadpool is a movie about family insofar as much as it is a movie about screwing. And as such, it is a movie that attempts to assemble a family through screwing and through sort of metaphors for screwing and and processes related to screwing, such as a giant dome shaped thing trying to penetrate an impenetrable barrier uh, and so on and so forth, such as a man who attempts to have a child is torn apart by it and uh, and a baby emerges from his loins. Right. Like that's uh, that's that's what I got another one, such as a man who who dives headfirst into a wood chipper. Yeah, oh, such as such as a whole bunch of people being released into uh, an empty void, and maybe one of them making it through to the ground. <laughs> exactly, exactly to the like, to the deep enclosed to the enclosure, right where there is a single organism that uh, that you know is the objective of the whole, uh, you know of the of the whole adventure. So, so wait, so which sperm is the one that gets into the con- the uh, convoy truck in order to rescue the uh, the fire fist? Well, I mean, it's it's Domino, right? And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably probably not for nothing that my interest in seeing a Deadpool three movie is entirely contingent on how much Domino is in it. Oh, wasn't she great? Oh man, yeah. George, tell us more, Matt. Tell us more. I mean, the the funny thing is, like, okay, so if you're looking at the X-Force as a family, I do think that the bonds of family are different strengths depending on the different combinations. I definitely feel like at this point, Colossus and Deadpool, I believe that they actually do have this sort of – they've they've earned the the right to call each other family i feel like domino could decide to go and take another job and never see them again and it wouldn't be a big deal 
which you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think she's particularly attached to Deadpool. Yeah, I kind of felt like that part of the movie. You guys talked about sperm. I also was thinking about because Deadpool's a widow at this point and he's looking for new sexual partners. And so, like, I felt like that was sort of a metaphor for dating where it's like, let's check this guy out. Let's check this guy out. Let's check this girl out. And it's like they all kind of come to a they all seem cool at first, but come to a grisly and immediate end. And and uh, Domino is less the family of origin person or even the sort of, you know, wife or husband figure as much as she's like the one you got the lucky one. Right. She's the she's the relationship that happened just by chance. Yeah. You know, I'm the one I'm the one on this podcast that's been on Tinder recently. And let me tell you that (laughs) that that face planting into a wood chipper is not a bad metaphor for what the (laughs) online dating world is like (laughs) these days. Well, you just shouldn't go on Tinder spitting acidic bile all over people. That's then you won't go into the wood chipper. <laughs> Domino Domino is kind of fascinating from a screenwriting perspective because the first thing they tell you in any screenwriting book is all your characters need to have a motivation that they're fighting because they're trying to avenge their dead daughter or they're fighting because they need to save this kid in a way to like uh, prove that they're they're sort of worth in life or that you know Colossus like can't give up on Deadpool time and time again. But Domino, they, they straight up ask Domino, they're like, why are you doing this? And and she's just sort of like, look, I'm doing it because I feel like doing it and because the reason will become clear later. And it's almost like because of the nature of her superpower, she doesn't need a motivation um, because the 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 reasons will become clear in the third act and, and justify everything retrospectively. <laughs> but do they? I don't know. I mean, I guess why – so, so the, at the beginning of the movie, somebody asked her, like, why, why are you ta- if you're so special, right, why are you joining up with this crew? And she's like, I don't know, but there's got to be a reason, and I'll figure it out when it happens. And is, is it assumed that the reason is because this is her family and that meeting these people was the reason why she walked into the X-Force audition in the first place? I got to assume it's whatever Cable – has decided to stick around for right that that maybe her purpose has nothing to do with this adventure and she's around for the next one i wonder if that's the i mean that's the jordan reading where it's like i hope the domino is in the next movie I mean, don't, <laughs> don't forget the sort of the, what the movie presents at face value which is that she also was tortured at the horrible orphanage oh right that's and then right. so yeah she she enacts a, a a lot of revenge by killing a bunch of the henchmen i believe right interesting does she know that when she takes the job i wonder what what does the form say you know when, when they all get the flyer and presumably it has like a phone number and you rip off a little tab and you call it to get the x-force audition i would very much like to read that sheet <laughs> i'll see if it's online <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, or was it speaking a, of yeah. character Speaking of characters' motivations, is now good of a time as any to uh, discuss the 800 pound refrigerator in the room. The juggernaut is that what you're talking about? <laughs> we the can talk juggernaut. about him. We can talk about him later. I'm of course referring to the fact that uh, Deadpool's girlfriend Vanessa is killed very quickly, uh, close to the beginning of the movie, and the movie sort of attempts to lampshade. The fact that this is ridiculous, but doesn't quite get away from the fact that this is a very good, well, by good, I mean bad example of the phenomenon known as fridging, which means that it comes from what one of the comics where a, a, a character comes home to find that his his girlfriend or, or you know, love interest is, is dead stuffed into a refrigerator. And of course, it speaks to the uh, lack of humanity and agency around female characters in so many so much pop culture that they're just kind of they're there just to be killed off and uh, provide motivation for the male characters and don't get to exist and have agency in their own right. Is that what happened in this movie? Was she fridged, even though, spoiler alert for Deadpool 2, through the magic of time travel, she's brought back to life? Maybe. It's, it's hard to know how seriously to take that coda at the end of Deadpool 2. Because then you have to wonder, it's like, okay, if he really goes back and brings her back to life... Did the things that we saw just happen? You know, I mean, in in a way, this movie can be dangerously close to like a Zucker style comedy. This is almost like not another superhero movie at certain times. I'm thinking especially of the whole X-Force sequence with the first X-Force. Like, like that could like Leslie Nielsen could be in that scene, um, <laughs> he you been know, great. as a sort of straight man. And like, you know, everybody who joins up with him, you know, like like Nordberg inevitably like gets like stuck under a bus and dragged all the way to Detroit. Like that's what that scene is. Um but like Deadpool really wants to have its heartfelt moments too. And I think it mostly gets away with it, but it's hard there are times when it's hard to know how seriously to take 
make this movie because it's so intent on breaking the fourth wall and winking at everything. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of the fridging. For the first answer has to be uh, to some degree yes, right? Because her point is to serve as a plot device. But it's interesting in that often with fridging, the idea is that the person who killed, I guess the person who killed her, he has to get revenge on, uh, or it makes the villain extra bad. And that's sort of how it's positioned at the beginning. But then the movie really more becomes about grief and about how he's supposed to sort of move past it. So in that in that interesting sense, there's like a twist on it. But I guess the ultimate argument that would try to redeem the movie is that she's not the only female character, I guess. Like in that fridging often takes place in the context of her being the only female character in the story. So I'm not saying that it's it's an utterly enlightened and woke thing for the movie to do. Ryan Reynolds is not the most woke guy in the world. I think, and I think this is a movie that's largely about people cleaving to one another in a way that uh, that I think the the uh, the woke crowd in particular might not find especially um, uh, normatively appropriate. Right? It's like, well, we need to have a strong father figure, and we need to have like a plucky teenager, and we need, to, and this is what a family looks like. I don't know. Uh, I mean, what do you think, Troy? <sighs> I would say, like, it, she definitely is fridged. The idea that she is killed so that he can feel sad is sort of the textbook version of it. But the worst, laziest storytelling cliche in the world, which fridging is close to, perhaps, can be done well and done poorly. So like you said, it's it's done to make the villain extra bad. And an interesting spin on that, for sure, is the scene where he's like, one of the guys who killed her got away. It was me. I'm the guy, right? Yeah. Uh, the sort of the the inward turning of that. It's often done in a context where you just have the guy go off alone and sort of um, be be an angry man in in a bat cave somewhere, right? Uh, And here he ends up not doing that. And there are other interesting female characters running around, which makes it less bad, but doesn't change the nature of what it is. It's especially often done in such a way that this female character um, vanishes from the story, which Vanessa pointedly does not do. You know, she's in the movie quite a bit. But she's only in the movie as kind of a Greek chorus to, uh, you know, for for Deadpool to bounce his ideas off of. She doesn't want anything. She doesn't get to sort of um, make any plans, take any action, have any agency. She's just uh, like, you know, it's like it's like she's his therapist or something yeah. who is she's paid professionally, yeah. 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 professionally paid to not bring herself into the equation and just be that sounding board for him. So in, in that sense, like, I think that it is a really interesting example of what one could do with that trope. And yet it is still that trope. And her, her being brought back at the end, I think means, means absolutely nothing as far as that's concerned, because it's still basically fridging. If she's just like held hostage for the entire movie, or if he thinks she's dead and she never was, or if rather than having it be like randomly, she comes back at the end. If the whole point was, we're going to find a magic time travel machine for the express purpose of bringing her back. The still, the point is that like she suffers horribly so that he can have uh, motivation. And it's particularly, I think, maybe a, a particularly bad thing about this version is that motivation is a real problem for Deadpool anyway, right? He's His whole point is that he's massively random. Why would he ever want to do anything? So the writers had a problem they needed to solve, and they're like, hmm, hmm, what could solve this problem? Violence against women? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I know, Mark, when you brought that up, I thought you were going to talk about the other giant 900-pound gorilla that is in the room about this movie. Uh, what would that be? The Juggernaut? No, not the Juggernaut. The fact that this is a Terminator 2 parody. I thought that you would have appreciated that, Mark, that you would appreciate this is a Terminator <laughs> movie. <laughs> that is this, what? Uh, as, is it? I mean, uh, I, I want to hear your, uh, your connection, Pete, but um, oddly enough, the time travel movie that this made me think about is... Back to the future because of the artifact that changes as the uh, as the future or the past or whatever is 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 rewritten. I mean, he calls him John Connor at one point, <laughs> which says, is interesting because is is that an overt reference to Terminator Genesis specifically? <laughs> oh, right, man. because I don't want I don't want to give spoilers for Terminator Genesis, but it 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 is not John Connor that travels back in time in any Terminator movie, with one exception. Right, right, right. You can spoil Terminator. You can spoil Terminator Genesis. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you're talking so, about so, Deadpool calls Cable John Connor 
because uh, like John Connor in Terminator Genesis, he's this like horrible, like half man, half machine amalgam. Is that what uh, is that we were referring to? Well, I mean, okay. I, I think that's what he means because normally you would call him like Arnold, right? Right. But maybe they tried that and realized it wasn't funny because, uh, hey, Arnold means something different than. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, this, so the idea is that this is a movie about a child of destiny, right? Deadpool is going says at the beginning he's going to have a child of destiny. And you think that it's going to be his child with Vanessa. But then in a in a John Steinbeckian turn toward my neighbor is my family. It turns out to be Firefist that is his child. This child of destiny is then targeted by an assassin from uh, a cybernetic assassin from the future who travels back in time for the purpose of killing him. And then the this villain needs to be enlisted as the hero to protect the child against the other villain. And in doing so, proves his worthiness as a father figure in himself. But then the two guys become buds, right? And they totally yeah. bro down. And the two Terminators, you know, they hang out for a little bit and they talk about teddy bears. And then they decide that, uh, that they're going to save each other. Oh, and and the, and the whole scene where the Terminator, uh, where Arnold lowers himself into the steel, takes about 15 minutes in this movie and is is rewound and undone by a T-1000 <laughs> yeah. that would not allow it to take place. You know, now uh, that anyway. you explain the plot out loud, it actually is a lot like Looper. And I feel like <laughs> I can't explain why without spoilers for the third act of Looper. But that's sort of the the idea of the kid and he's got the powers and somebody's coming back from the future to kill. I mean, Looper is a Terminator 2's play. Um, that would be that would be a hell of a twist if it turns out the cable is actually Deadpool in the future. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's and, and it, it would be super interesting because in a way, like they're complete opposites. Right. Like one is super like makes jokes about everything and the other makes jokes about nothing and never cracks a smile. Uh, yeah. By the way, how great was Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin's having a hell of a summer as Marvel villains. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. He wasn't so good in Solo as Chewbacca, but uh, he was. <laughs> <laughs> and his motivation is kind of the uh, is kind of the same in this and Infinity War, which is sort of like I experienced an unspeakable tragedy that I couldn't prevent. I read. And so about I'm, I'm going to do something horrible. I read about Malthus in my 10th grade philosophy exactly. uh, unit. And so I have to, to – he actually has a similar – he has a parallel uh, 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 motivation to Deadpool in this, right? Like Cable's wife was fridged sort of. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see it You don't see it happening, but like uh, it's, it's uh, super fr- – uh, if you have a child uh, as well, it's the fridge and the freezer because one is big and one is small. <laughs> uh, we do see it actually. I mean it doesn't occur um, sequentially in the movie, but we see – uh, a flash forward, flashback at some yeah, point. Oh, right. You see their horribly charred them. remains. <laughs> you see the remains. You know, well, uh, yeah, sure. still, no, you, you see them. You see them. On Did screen. you notice that even when Firefish grows up, he's still wearing a hoodie? <laughs> he wears like a hoodie yes. no matter how old he is. It's, yeah, he's, he's, he's Zuckerberging really hard uh, stylistically, uh, style-wise, you know. Because he never has the opportunity to mature because he, he stays as an adolescent forever because he doesn't has that opportunity to get over the hump. He never he never finds a society to belong to in his Bill Dung's Roman. <laughs> I think it's interesting that like so Cable and Deadpool both have the fridging motivation. And then a lot of the other second secondary characters have the motivation of, well, this seems like it would be fun. Right. So that's basically <laughs> Domino's idea. That's a mustache guy's idea. The, the normal. Right. Peter. Um, uh, yeah, Peter, right? Peter, very clearly Peter. Yep. Um, you, you beautiful bastard Peter, stay, stay alive. Um, but then uh, Firefist is the only one who has sort of a really concrete motivation, which is he wants to belong really badly. And he kind of wants to find a, a big mean guy to protect him. Mm-hmm. So are we going to talk about the 900 pound gorilla that's in the room now? Is that, is that what we're going to talk about? Yes, Colossus is great. <laughs> totally. I love, I love the scene where he's just lying around reading the rule book for fun. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, he, he functions as a super ego, right? Like, if, if Deadpool, in, in the first movie anyway, if Deadpool was id and then Colossus was super ego, I feel like if you want to use that schema, it's slightly different in Deadpool 2, where he is still super ego, but it's almost more like cable is id because he's the one with the kind of unstoppable drive and deadpool has the unstoppable drive but like he kills that guy very very early in the 
in the movie and he's he's the one trying to like moderate uh between um you know between the need for retribution the kind of the the drive to violence and the social strictures that that you know would would uh, proscribe that kind of thing right Matt did you do that on purpose what tell me you did that on purpose I uh, sure I did did, did you just describe which, which Matt, first of all the, rather did you just describe the attribute of being unstoppable to two of the characters in this movie and yet not discuss the 900 pound gorilla in the room <laughs> oh the train the train that that uh yes, the giant train <laughs> they care. right yeah it is like it is definitely it's a it's a movie about screwing because that train does go into the tunnel in the uh i'm just the saying thing. there's a there's literally like a hidden basement where they chain the giant unstoppable motivation and the teenage boy discovers it when left alone by himself and uses it for self-gratification that that would be more a sam raimi type of superhero movie (laughs) i feel like i have to uh to quibble with your idea that cable is the it i think that cable is more superhero i mean the superhero more super ego because he's coming back in time to like he's going to do a whole bunch of stuff that he might not like but he needs to because it's the right thing to do and he's sort of taking on the role of a, of a paterfamilias and taking care of his people and you know going and doing his super grim business i feel like cable is just sort of the you know the the morally ambiguous the the evil version of the colossus character from the first one and deadpool is still still sort of the the id cuz id's drives aren't as rational as revenge right like it is id like tony montana will, will kill a communist just for the fun of it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah i mean that's that's interesting that the yeah because there's a I, it's, when you were saying that i was thinking gosh is there because cable sort of functions like the law right like this is the law it's a law it's a kind of eye for an eye it's a retribution sort of law and he's trying to undo something in in the future so there's a little he's he's back to the futuring pretty hard but like he's um uh he's the law and colossus is the rules Right. And that uh, uh, that there's kind of a difference between the rules and the law. Right. Because the law, the, the maybe just in terms of scale. Right. Like the rules are, are generally smaller scale than the law. But I also think in terms of in terms of stakes. Right. Like the law is meant to make society possible uh, and the rules are meant to make some sort of social microcosm like a, a, a game or an institution possible um, yeah. or. Or you could even think of it that like cable is justice and Colossus is the laws and the idea is that if everybody obeys the laws, then you don't need justice because justice is like super grim and doesn't care who gets hurt yeah. and involves doing a lot of stuff that uh, that is basically, you know, that, that you might want to kick out of your society. But to be truly just, you have to do all that stuff. And Colossus is the guy saying, like, no, no, you know, if you just don't litter, right, and you you make sure to follow every little thing in this book, then it never needs to get that grim sure. dark. Three or four, three or four moments, right? Three right. or four moments. That's all it takes. It's it's interesting that the thing that Deadpool gets thrown into jail for is killing. I think I think he just manages to kill uh, Jared Kushner there. Um, <laughs> one of the orderlies at the uh, at the institution for mutants when he realizes that they've been abusing uh, was it Russell. Um, yes, and so, yes. which is funny because it's like, that's a cable solution to that problem. Right. It's like, you know, like some, sometimes people have to die for the greater good, right? Like cable would be nodding. He wouldn't be smiling and nodding cause he doesn't smile, but he'd be nodding. And of course, Colossus is horrified, but note that at the end of the movie, they go back to the institution, they kill everybody and Colossus participates in that. So I do kind of feel like, uh, Colossus's arc in this movie is realizing that sometimes you need a little bit of a, a little bit of cable, Right. Sometimes you need to go Old Testament instead of just sort of like trusting the system, trusting that everybody fulfills their roles and everybody is an honest actor. Yeah, uh, uh, that's how we do it in Mother Russia. Exactly. Colossus is a white hat cowboy. Right. In, right. in that he, he lives by his code. A man's got to, you know, he's, that's what he's reading. when He's, he's hanging out is, you know, man's got to have a code and you got to You got to, you know, have a posse and it's all good. You got to be. I just love that line. Pick on someone your own size. Did, did that give anyone else? I haven't heard that sentence. I feel like that value has slipped somewhat out of society, perhaps because the fights have become virtual and you don't know how big people are anymore. But, uh, well, but, yeah, but just, also also the because of the sort of the Powell doctrine, right? Like asymmetric warfare is really the order of the day. And if you did 
did, if you challenged that in a serious way uh, in our entertainments, that would be maybe a little too disturbing to to kind of integrate and, and rationalize, right? Like the idea that two big powers are going to fight each other has become kind of unacceptable in the current uh, culture of heroes and villains. Well, no, I think an idea of an honest reckoning with the idea with the um, you know that. The, the reality that wars are generally fought 30,000 feet above the poorest country in the world oh, to, to, gotcha, bar, yeah. to borrow a friend, right? Like, and pick on someone your own size is not, uh, right, is not uh, in line with that, that Colin Powell doctrine of like, we, uh, of we only will enter conflicts where we can wage asymmetric warfare, where we can like bring an overwhelming force to bear on our objective. Whereas Colossus fighting the 900-pound gorilla in the room, he does it, ironically enough, at a home for mutants. So it's almost like he's doing it on his home front. It's like Stalingrad. It's like the big battle has come to the place where it needs to, it needs to be a total, a total uh, conflict. Everything is at stake. Uh, in that kind of slugfest, I guess. I mean, it's just it's interesting to think about those juxtapositions and how it feels kind of dated. I would also say that in addition to maybe being a little bit more cable-y, Colossus has also become quite a bit just more Deadpool-y. Because if you think about the way that they handle the problem of Juggernaut, it's not like they're like, well, Juggernaut is just too dangerous. We have to kill him no matter what. They humiliate him. They pants him and shove a, shove a live wire <laughs> into an orifice. And then Colossus, I believe, is the one who says, well, we'd better leave because he's going to wake up any time <laughs> <laughs> right yeah the the authorities will deal with him he's still a little he's still a little bit lawful good right <laughs> Even... The juggernaut. <laughs> the juggernaut will go to a bar and get drunk. The probably. juggernaut. Yes, that's the juggernaut. who you meant. Was the yes. pound gorilla in the world? Although I did kind of miss uh, Vinnie Jones's portrayal from X Men Three, which I thought was pretty fun in its own way. Yeah, yeah, though lacking somewhat in in total menace, I, I guess. But yeah, the I mean, and they even quoted the viral video. They did. They 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 used the the meme the memeable quote right there when he went after Ellen Page, right? That was a cool action sequence. The Juggernaut doesn't do anything nearly so juggernaut yeah. in this movie. I do have to point out that the, the, so the Juggernaut has a very specific power, right? Which is that he cannot be stopped once he begins moving in a certain direction. <laughs> yes. And I don't recall that being like really happening. Like in this movie, the Juggernaut is just very big and very strong. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they actually they might have shown him plowing through something, but there's I think he even gets stopped at, like pretty early on by something. Yeah, they like, don't they don't really tease out all the implications in Newtonian mechanics of like changing yeah. changing momentum or something. Like well, that. I will never forget the day when the Juggernaut fought the Blob and it was the most exciting showdown ever, right? Because the Blob can't be moved. The Juggernaut can't be stopped. And people legitimately thought that that could be the end of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I feel like the Juggernaut is is a great sex metaphor because because on one hand you know it's this drive that can't be stopped no matter what happens and so the idea of like it, it exists in somewhat in opposition to death you know the juggernaut can't be stopped nothing can stop the juggernaut there's kind of a fantasy of immortality or of, of sort of absolutist there's a denial of death in this sort of permanence of the juggernaut's momentum but also because the juggernaut is coming to kill you he also kind of represents death and in that way that's like the, the petite mort right like the little death, the uh, the consummation that at the end of things. You're saying uh, that you're saying that he's there to give you some dome. Right. <laughs> he's got he's got to wear this mushroom shaped helmet because he fears being controlled. Yeah, exactly. He's the id. Okay, he's the id. All right. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know how I was supposed to really put that together, Pete. <laughs> I just have to say it for the bit. I know it's, it's <laughs> totally, totally unreasonable of you to expect us to pick that up just from, you know, watching and paying attention to the film that we saw. <laughs> yeah. But, but to, to come back to that question about whether Deadpool is a family movie, maybe, is it really about finding a family or is it more about like integrating your psyche then and, mm -hmm. and sort of choosing id over choosing ego and super ego over id? Interesting, interesting. It's it's interesting because there's this idea in it that a person isn't whole, I think. That there's these barriers and then the separation, the fact that he gets cut in half, 
the fact that he can't pass through the kitchen. And so, yeah, the incompleteness can be seen as a social incompleteness, but it can it definitely can be seen as a psychological. Yeah, it's an interpsychic inter interpsychic incompleteness, right? Because like the line that she says, uh, the line that that Fridgie McFrigelot says to to him is your heart's not in the right place. Right. And that's like that sort of. Uh, I, I think the point of that is like your, your psyche is not organized correctly. You know, like that's, that's what the, the metaphor is. Like you're, you, you are not in, um, uh, what would the Buddhists call it? Like right relationship, right? To, uh, uh, to the things. And it's not exactly, it's not exactly rule following that, that, uh, gets it for him it's actually a sort of going beyond right like uh sacrificing himself for firefist that does the um that does the trick that actually gets him uh out of his burn victim makeup and into uh and back into into the living room you know so is it in Jordan's reading then is deadpool sacrifice the reconciliation of uh, Eros and is it Thanatos or th- it's not Thanos. Thanos, but, <laughs> but the the the, uh, the love and the life and death impulses in Freudian psychology, right? Uh, are are like the sexual impulse and then the the impulse that seeks death. That this is so. Deadpool's fridge fridged wife in this movie is really kind of his mom. Because he leaves her, right, and she dies, and then he tries to keep going back to her. And in this sort of Freudian reading, uh, trying to go back to that is somewhat related to the death impulse, uh, I think. And uh, and as such, he's looking to – he's exploring all the different parts of the sort of Freudian or Jungian psychology. You know, he meets the superhero who's like the iron giant, right, and he meets the id who is the dome head buster guy and then yeah the law is there the the lawman who is this sort of uh father figure with the iron hand of the law like tear is 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 represented in there and stuff like that mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. yeah and then and then i guess what he has to one one question is like well who is negasonic teenage warhead and uh what's her name uh Yukio, Yon- Yon- right? Yukio, Yukio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> hi not- Yukio. <laughs> hi. Um the uh not not nearly enough screen time for Negasonic Teenage Warhead, who who was my favorite character in mm. in Deadpool One, right? Like oh. and and totally I mean, I think that like there's uh well, I guess they had a, a sort of traumatized child in this uh, in this already who is sort of more important to the plot. But like, I feel like teenagers are a really interesting case if you're talking about a family movie, if you're or if you're talking about the kind of the the impulse be, uh, to uh, form a family or to organize your psyche correctly, which I suppose could be thought of as as um, you know, allegorically aligned, right? Like that, that, cause teenagers are members of the family by rejecting the family. Like the, the, the proper orientation of the teenager towards the family is to like hate it and sort of chafe at its restrictions. And in so doing, right? Like, uh, the teenager demonstrates that she or he is, um, uh, is, you know, healthy and kind of doing the appropriate developmental work, uh, for the time. So it would be, it'd be kind of an interesting lab to, um, interesting lab to to sort of go through those uh, sorts of things. I really, but I I, I miss the character, I guess, in this uh, in this movie. Yeah, strong agree. I feel like giving her a happy relationship with Yukio was like an interesting choice for for political reasons, and and works for the character too. But these writers don't seem to know what to do with anybody who's happy. So they ended up kind of like taking her out of the movie because giving her that kind of psychic stability turned her into, you know, she's actually the figure of law. At the end, when Colossus is going to stay hanging out with Deadpool, she's like, yeah, we'll take the kids back to where they need to be. (sighs) You know, that's not what Negasonic Teenage Warhead from the first movie would have been doing, I don't think. Right, right. right. Yeah, chewing chewing bubblegum or, you know, I don't know, getting detention or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of what the sacrifice means, I feel like on on my reading of it, Pete, it lines up with a lot of what you were saying. I think it makes total sen- sense to think of Vanessa as kind of his mother insofar as she is the cause of him, right? Mm-hmm. Through, through her fridging, she is the thing that drives everything that he does and all of his development as a character. But I feel like the bit with... Um, 
with the sun is maybe all the sun being fire fist, right? The sort of the allegorical yeah. sun is all maybe misdirection. And that really it's about the, the father figure that the romance qua bromance between Deadpool and Cable and Deadpool and Colossus is what the movie's really about. And that like the, the closure comes at the moment that uh, Cable's like, yeah, we're bros. And then everything else is just letting the plot shake out, right. which I, I think that really the way that I read this, if I'm going to put on my overthinking hat is that look, superhero movies these days are serious business. Either it's the DC stuff, in which case it's extremely serious business, or it's the Marvel stuff, in which case it's still, you know, the biggest action franchise in the world. So it's serious business. And comic books can be very serious, but comic books can also be nonsense. And (laughs) if you're someone who reads a lot of comics, then you've got some of that Deadpool stuff lying around, right? That that rampant id, violence for the sake of violence, sex for the sake of sex, nonsense for the sake of nonsense. And you've probably repressed a bunch of that. Right. If you want to say like, oh, well, comics is an art form, we should treat it seriously. All that other stuff that's there, we're going to pretend it's not there, sweep it under the rug. And then this movie comes along and says like, no, you have to confront that. Like you, Cable, with all of your grim purpose and your murdered child, you need to deal with me, Deadpool, who is going to make a joke about how, uh, you know, someone someone who can't draw feet is the person who came up with all this stuff. <laughs> and, and the moment when Colossus like sort of uh, bodyguards him out of there right and sort of embraces the the idiot man child portion of his own psyche if we're thinking of it all as one psyche is really the the point where the movie comes to its happy ending i think that's my my big uh ridiculous theory for it so where does the so just as regards baby dick (laughs) here we go we knew that's the real 900 pound gorilla (laughs) Um, wait, wait, no, it, it totally makes sense. Like Jordan, it totally makes sense with with uh, with what you're saying, right? Yeah, I think so. It's like the uh, cable comes in and is like, we have to have a serious talk about my character motivations, and uh, you know, a Deadpool is like, gaze upon me. <laughs> so, so what's interesting? I think one of the interesting elements that reinforces your reading, Jordan, is thinking about the teddy bear. Like, what does the teddy bear represent? Because the teddy bear through the most of the movie is this horrible charred thing. And at some point when the future is saved, the teddy bear becomes a toy again. And it's interesting to think that the making whole that happens to Cable coincides with the teddy bear becoming not just a a signal of somebody being alive. It's not like the teddy bear in Breaking Bad, where it's like all twisted terribleness, right? It's like the teddy bear has no innocent implications at all. Uh, But the teddy bear, when it becomes an actual toy, is fun and harmless and has this playful aspect to it. And it's like... Cable has to re- figure out his inner teddy bear. Like bears, in, bears in general in in literature, and like the the famous bear in um, uh, the bear in the main fair. No, yeah, exactly. Winnie the Pooh, Paddington, <laughs> Paddington Two, best reviewed movie of the year. Winnie the yeah, Winnie the Pooh, definitely the who the never mind the no um, a Shakespeare play. It's uh, Winter's Tale, uh, Exeunt, pursued by a bear. Um, <laughs> The that's Winter's Tale, right? The uh, uh, they have this kind of two form, right? I, I, we must have in five hundred some odd episodes. We must have talked about this on the podcast before. That bears are that bears are cuddly and fierce, right? And I think I, it's interesting. Like self healing timelines are like uh, auto uh, auto reconciling single timeline time travel stories. Generally, have a good and a bad version. It's true in Back to the Future. It's true in Yesterday's Enterprise. You know um, that like non quantum. Um, uh, timeline movies have like a uh, sort of right resolution of the timeline and a wrong resolution of of the timeline, and this this seems to to jibe with the reading that we're developing of this movie as being about like either trauma recovery. 
right? Or else uh, the, you know, the process of like individuating or self-actualizing, right? It's either a kind of normal developmental process or, uh, or else it's a sort of uh, as healthy as can, uh, as healthy as possible response to uh, terrible things happening to you in your life, right? Like there's, the, you're either the charred teddy bear or you're the, the, uh, the good fluffy teddy bear, right? You're either Cable as father as Revenger or Cable as um, father as protector, right? As yeah. benevolent or, or Cable as Deadpool's bro, potentially. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, exactly. Because, there, yeah, there's all kinds of... Um, I mean, I wouldn't even call it homosociality. It's just straight up, uh, straight up romance going going on in the the movie without even because you know if you fridge all the women, there isn't even a woman to kind of uh, to uh, be the interface through which the bros can can get at each other. Um, I mean, it's interesting though. You could think of it so Deadpool has this relationship with a woman, which is really intense and great, and then that's taken from him, and he's like, "I'm going to be super violent because this woman was taken from me." And Cable has basically the same thing and then the healing of the narrative the bear becomes whole not at the point where they get those women back but at the point where like they're basically happy and they're not actively trying to kill anybody anymore and they are like they're in a strong kind of circle of maleness and there are some women around who are like they're good friends that they are not trying to sleep with (laughs) 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 so really friend friend zone (laughs) well but but it's not presented as a tragedy right like you know negasonic teenage warhead is great and domino is great and they're sort of they're in the circle and deadpool and cable aren't claiming ownership over them and yet the bear is whole so maybe this really is the superhero movie that our our nation's psyche needs you know as a as a brief tangent did you guys keep up with the eminem Nicki minaj rumors this week that we're going around how Nicki Minaj released a song where she says in the song a lyric that leads people to believe that she's dating Eminem. And then she posted to Instagram that she, that she a video of her singing that lyric in the song. And Eminem like replies by seeing like, you know it, girl. And then they like banter back and forth until Eminem is at like a big concert. And he asks the crowd, you know, you guys think I should be dating Nicki Minaj? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, all right, well, she can text me. <laughs> like, whatever. Uh, but there were there were rumors on the internet that Eminem and Nicki Minaj were dating each other, which seems absurd because he's like 50. And, you know, they, they seem to uh, perhaps be at different places in their lives with regards to romance. And the funny part is it was absurd. Right. Like it was it was it was absurd that they would be together. And Eminem clearly has no real interest in dating Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj has no real interest in dating Eminem. And they just had this sort of collegial joke at the expense of everybody who who would assume that all these relationships must be people who are sleeping with each other. Uh, and it just, it, that just made me think of it. The idea that like that uh, that all of the X-Force can like hang out and nobody is causing any trouble because T.J. Miller won't be in the next movie. Uh, then uh, <laughs> yeah, burn, uh, burn, fire. Fist, kacha, um, but uh, that, that it, it just it just feels like it's a cool thing to be able to express in the culture. That's all, and it's something that I think you'll see more of, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super yeah. rare. I, I, I well, I, I don't know. I have a couple places that I want to go. Like one, one is what is the point of the X Force? Like what? Uh, not the X Force that emerges at the end, but the team that Deadpool puts together in the second act that all who all die on their first mission together, <laughs> right? Like they, What is the? What does it get us? narratively structurally or or just like experientially to have such an elaborate misdirect in the second act with just so much wood behind the arrow that turns out to be like turns out to be like one of those arrow headbands that steve martin wears (laughs) i i mean pete do you have a theory yeah i I mean i i think that it has to do with trying to compensate for being unhappy by attempting to be awesome I don't know if you guys have ever <laughs> have you ever tried to do that? I definitely have. Where it's like, yeah, has, you know. <laughs> has human culture ever tried to do yeah. that? <laughs> I don't know, but I've seen a Sousa brass band, so I know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
we're all having a great time fighting wars all over the place. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's Deadpool goes through this phase. Well, there part of it seems to be this idea of who are the awesomest people. I will protect myself by enshrouding myself and and uh, identifying myself with the coolest people. But then part of it is also this idea of my model for what is good is the X-Men. I've always resisted being part of that. I've attempted to be part of it. I clearly don't belong there, but I'm going to try to remake it with a slight with a slight variation. Uh which is it's interesting. Maybe it's this idea of coming from the top down and kind of trying to plan your uh your either your psyche or your associations. Maybe it's about how the relationships that matter end up being the ones that are earned or the ones that sort of happen in your life as opposed to the ones that you choose because they're the best. Uh, and it was just also sort of a karate kid motto, I guess, which is like, don't hang out with the Cobra Kai. Uh, uh, although we should also talk about the rest of Cobra Kai when we get to it. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's between these things. I feel like it does a lot. Shatterstar, right, is one of the guys who is just the most ridiculous dude in the whole world. And I, I <laughs> Yeah, it has green blood like a Vulcan. <laughs> right, his superpower is just he's an alien, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and he's awesome at everything. I'm better than yeah. you at everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, I I love your reading of this, Pete. Um, kind of you know the filling a void or like sort of a, you know something a team is a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, but it's so interesting that all these things that we're talking about, kind of explaining uh, you know the motivations for these characters and their function and things like that, we we've all found really good. Uh, story reasons for them and you know metaphorical reasons uh but we don't talk about just like the very surface level uh function as parody of a superhero movie right mm-hmm. this is like you know just uh, uh, uh framing how ridiculous it is that these people who barely know each other are just constantly being thrown into harm's way you know extremely perilous situations and they don't really think twice about it but um you know in in, in most in regular circumstances that would just result in horrible death for all yeah. these people. Um, so, I mean, that just, I think it goes back to the conflicting purposes. I don't know if conflicting is the right word, the uh, competing purposes, perhaps, um, of, of this movie, which is to um, uh, be a farce, be a send up, while at the same time being a, an earnest story in, unto itself. Um, and it, it can be both. Uh, don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, it, it's interesting to, 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 to consider something like the X Force uh, assemblage in both lights. Yeah, that's interesting. It's there's a weird way in which like all of the building a team montage has no consequence, which is weird and funny. But then there are other things like when he's like, "It's very windy out there, so you need to be careful with this plan. You might want to reconsider the plan because it's windy." And in every other movie, he'd be like, "Don't talk to me about the wind," and it wouldn't matter. But here, the wind has serious consequences. <laughs> So, like, both the, the way that things in superhero movies always matter later on and the ways in which they never matter later on are reversed in the same plot thrust. It's really quite neat. Yeah, I'm really on board now with the idea that the point of X-Force is the wind advisory. <laughs> that, that like, uh, the, with the other movies, it's no matter when the when the stakes get really high and the problems get really big, the best solution is to get a, come up with the biggest team that you could possibly come up with and have them do the most dramatic thing that you could possibly think of. Uh, by the way, this is not how problems actually work. <laughs> like, it's like, hey, guys, you know, we have a we have to clean the garage. And it's like, I'm going to assemble a team. Right. And it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to zip line yeah. down from the neighbor's right. house. And, and do like, it under a, incredibly adverse conditions. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's a big barrel that's like balanced precariously on top of the garage door. Here, I'll send in this guy who's got infrared vision. No! Like that kind of thing. It's it's solve the problem. Don't raise the awesomeness. It's the spike equilibrium, which you've talked about for years, where yeah. you do something useless that, that is more awesome. It doesn't actually affect the outcome. Oh, man. And it kind of drives home the degree to which every character in every superhero movie has Domino's superpower. Yeah. The visual grammar that they found for that was was great. And I really, really do think that she needs a movie on her own um, yeah. just because, like, the performance was so fun and the sort of the way that they manifested the, the luck powers was so cool. Yeah, the sort of OK uh, Go video aspect of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, not even superhero movies, like most war movies, <laughs> most cop movies. Yeah. Just everyone is so stupidly lucky all the time. Um, and having all those people die is sort of a necessary component of driving driving that home, I think. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, so if you're 20th Century Fox, in a perfect world, you'd have a healthy mainline X-Men franchise, and then you'd have the Deadpool thing on the side, which is sort of like your irreverent, R-rated, almost send-up of the mainline franchise. It's your, Guardian, uh, with, it's your Guardians of the Galaxy, but Guardians right. is not R-rated. Right. Uh, but but the problem is that like the the X-Men uh, proper, the, the mothership X-Men brand is in trouble. Right. So they have this um, X-Men. What, what I what I keep thinking of is scary X-Men, but it's not scary. X- what, what am I thinking of? The one that's been delayed eight times. The one where the sequel oh, to X-Men Maisie Williams. No, no, it's, no, it's not uh, Maisie not Williams. It's it's Sansa Stark. Yeah, they're yeah. going to do the, the oh, Phoenix Saga, right? Eventually, they're going to no, do the that, Phoenix they're, Saga? No, they're, they're doing that. So there are two X-Men movies cooking, and they're both in trouble, right? They've both kind of been delayed, and the rumors are not great. Yeah, there's, and scary, there's, one that's there's scary X-Men. That's right, there's scary X-Men. It has another name, but I'm going to keep calling it scary X-Men until it's it's long gone. And then there's, there's I think they're straight up doing like a Phoenix um, movie and neither of those because I mean honestly the the X Men Apocalypse really barely limped across the 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 line of making money and so X Men could be in big trouble so th- this is all to say that. Deadpool is in a tricky position because Deadpool, the whole brand, is being irreverent and making fun of superhero movies. But at the same time, it kind of – I'm sure 20th Century Fox would love if Deadpool could get bigger and somehow like expand and be like an Avengers-level hit. But the, the question is like – I guess – Here's my question to the group. Is there a way to make Deadpool bigger and to carry some of the gravitas and some of the excitement of – you know, uh, like big blockbuster tentpole superhero films without losing what makes Deadpool Deadpool, which is that not taking anything seriously. I mean, there's a word that comes to mind for me, and it's a word that comic book readers would greet with trepidation at best. But the word is onslaught. So that's what are you guys I thought you were going to say Lobo. Lobo. Oh, Lobo. I Galactus. Oh, Galactus. Well, Galactus <laughs> is when Fantastic Four, right, has to come back. But are you guys familiar with Onslaught? No. Onslaught is Explain. amazing. What? What's up? Explain, please. Oh, Onslaught is a massive crossover from the mid-90s where Charles Xavier and Magneto fuse into one being that has giant shredder blades all over him and it's the silliest freaking thing it starts with him punching the juggernaut uh i believe to westchester uh or like across new york state and it's this giant it's a giant crossover between x-men and cable is there right and uh, and a bunch of the different marvel superheroes show up for it uh, it's just one of those big things like the infinity gauntlet but re- utterly ridiculous and i don't think on purpose uh and uh because the idea of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender combining into one giant super shredder is is kind of silly. Uh, I mean, I guess you you would have trouble doing. You have to have them both like talking inside of its head or something. But could you do a big crossover between the X Men and Onslaught and bring in the Fantastic Four also? I mean, that that isn't really answering the question that you're suggesting, but I, it just comes to mind as like a story that could be begging to be told. Uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, I'll show you guys a picture of Onslaught so you can see, and we'll put it in the show notes, just what a serious sort of comic book story we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, note, that, note in the URL I am sending you that Onslaught is in all caps. <laughs> wow, he looks, like a tra- he looks like a Transformer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't transform into anything, does he? No, no he does. Oh, he does. He changes form like Frieza. He's like a dragon ball. Oh, like Frieza. Yeah, This exactly. isn't even my final form. Yeah. So the movies are Dark Phoenix and New Mutants are the ones you're talking the about. The New Mutants is scary, is scary X-Men. That's right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, um, I mean, the, the answer would partially be to go campy with the mainstream stuff like Marvel does and be all bantery and jokey. But that seems like it's... it's uh, I don't know. That ship seems to have sailed. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? What do you think, Jordan? Do you have any ideas for how to make the dead take the success of Deadpool and somehow create a coherent Fox style that incorporates it rather than keeps it aside? I mean, I think I don't know that if you want the health of the Deadpool brand is like your primary object, that that's something that you want. I think that it needs to have something that it's that it's mocking. And if the regular X-Men movies were like that, then there'd be no need for this or sort of no place for it. Um, 
but if you just want to make a bunch of money, <laughs> then but, but but if you just want to make a bunch of money, then why Go not you continue on. to make to make Deadpool movies or make you know or do I, I think that I might have heard that Ryan Reynolds is done with it, so maybe maybe you do just like pivot to Domino real hard, but but keep the same kind of vibe uh, with like a few less a few less dick jokes, but the same irreverence, the same sort of sense of not caring, um, and having the the X Men come in as these. Uh, these kind of like straight man characters that can uh, have to deal with the the chaos and the nonsense and look kind of grumpy about it. And you could have big villains come through that same way. Like I think it would be actually honestly very hilarious to have Thanos show up uh, and, and have to deal with, with X-Force um, just like, you know, him trying to get them to separate themselves onto two sides of the room and Ryan Reynolds continuing like walking to the wrong side of the room because he gets like caught up in a conversation or something I'd, I'd watch that for 15 minutes <laughs> yeah i agree with pete oh no pete with uh with jordan uh and you know this idea that you have to have these two things balanced out with each other i'll also remind you all uh of a time when the mainline comic franchise was not balanced out accordingly um that being the 90s with the batman franchise right when it went hardcore like back to the campy adam west type of type of stuff uh batman and robin um uh not so good Right. I mean, not, that's that, that's not to say that the current DC uh, attempted balance right with Suicide Squad and, and like the, the grim Zack Snyder verse is working out either. But um, you, you can see, again, the template that they're trying to follow with Suicide Squad and uh, and like, you know, Batman versus Superman. It's just the question of execution. Hmm. I mean, oh, nobody likes Onslaught is the answer <laughs> that I already knew to the question. There is a. Oh, no, it's not. It's not Fox. It's Sony. Um uh, there was a another Marvel superhero movie that was advertised during uh, the credits to Deadpool, which is Venom, right? Which see, which actually seems to be back in the uh, seems to be more Snydery um, or Christopher Christopher Nolan-y, you know, uh, in that they put um, acclaimed actor Tom Hardy uh, into the into the role the way that acclaimed actor Christian Bale was put into the into the role of Batman. And the other the other movie that there was a um uh trailer for was it's not it's a movie it's like Hunger Games meets Scary X-Men. The children have superpowers and they're being rounded up, but uh um, but it's more Hunger Gamesy uh, than it is, you know, a metaphor for racism in the '60s. Oh, that that, by the way, well, well done, uh, Deadpool screenwriters for, uh, you know, what are they? They're a metaphor for racism in the '60s, which both like uh, gets at what's great about them and also gets at why maybe the culture needs to move past them a little bit, maybe. or they need to be reinvented in some way. They yeah, need to be changed. They shake. Up. Yeah. Um, I, I what what were the trailers in your guys's theaters <laughs> for Deadpool? Yeah. Well, it was for Maybe a seventy millimeter. Oh, come on. They actually showed like three times the Mamma Mia two trailer in a row. I think it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's I crazy thought- that there's Mamma Mia two, by the way, because I'm pretty sure they used up all the ABBA songs in the first one, right? Have they had time to write new ones? Is that what happens? <laughs> yeah, Abba got back together and wrote thirty new songs. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be funny if if it were just a different band's jukebox musical? If this were like the Fleetwood Mac jukebox musical or something like that? That like uh, they just did a different band for every franchise for every entry in the franchise. I haven't seen Mamma Mia. Does Mamma Mia acknowledge the existence of Abba? Uh, like, does ABBA exist in the Mamma Mia verse? Is my question. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. The the, okay. the songs are all just naturally spring out of the very specific action. Oh, okay. speaking speaking of which, let's close on let's close on this. Speaking of Mamma Mia and ABBA and and the songs, the soundtrack to this film. Yeah, you know, yeah, super. Uh, I mean, from Enya to it was all over. It was really, uh, it was really good. Was it just ironic effect? Was it just uh, uh, bathos? You know, the sort of the the drop from the sublime to the ridiculous. Was it all satirical, or uh, what? Did, what did the soundtrack do for you? I mean, I feel like we should turn to you, Jordan, to answer this yeah. question because of professional. I, I was, sh- I was shook. 
when he pointed out how much do you want to build a snowman <laughs> sounds like Papa <laughs> <Kikiri>. <laughs> <laughs> that rocked my, my fragile little world D- demonstrate it for the people on the podcast who are still listening but haven't seen deadpool 2 <laughs> uh Papa, can you hear me? Or ride our bikes around the halls? I never see you anymore, and so on. <laughs> and then, and then versus snowman. Well, that was that was a medley. Jordan just gave us a medley, right? Like, uh, you know, th- yeah, that was that was pretty great. It's almost yeah. like uh, uh, discovering the hidden quote of "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" in the soundtrack to Wicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that like uh, now you're just showing. <laughs> And I approve. Uh, Can you like to sing it for us? Do you, do, Jordan? You know this one, right? Uh, no, I don't know Wicked at all. So oh, I'm, I'm looking the theme, the alphabet theme, in the Green Witch, the witch theme in um, uh, in the musical score is ba da 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 da, and it's uh, it's about like limited or unlimited is like a dichotomy in the thing, and so the the. Um, the lyrics are unlimited. My future is unlimited. Unlimited. My future. Da 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 da. Somewhere over the rainbow. Uh, it's like a seven note quote. It's a seven note quotation of somewhere over the rainbow uh, in a slightly different rhythm. I think seven notes being the most that you can, the most that you can use of another melody without like owing royalties to uh, uh, to MGM or 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 something like that. But mm, the, and also also the most rainbowy of numbers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah exactly. Um, P, what did you think of the soundtrack? Were, were you shook or were you all shook up? Well, I first of all, I love If I Could Turn Back Time. It's my jam. It's such a great song. And I was so glad that it was finally used to its proper effect in a film. But mm. the thing that really came to mind is how heavily it relied on divas, and the notion of what makes a diva a diva is an interesting discourse of power. And I think one that's related to Deadpool and to what is happening in the movie. Because what that's is what? I mean, yeah, go for I it. Mean, it's interesting, like, you know, in a lot of the advertising materials, Deadpool is sort of presenting as female in these sort of very exaggerated sort of mo- showing off a hip let's say or even in the opening credits where he is sort of like uh, in a James Bond style opener sort of uh, posing suggestively he's also he, so, f- he flash dances doesn't he yes right yeah. he, he does the straight up flash dancing thing where he like pulls the string but instead of water i think bullets fall on him and so i don't i don't know what that is. I, maybe, maybe that plays into the thing where there's a sort of like a, a female pop star energy that deadpool embodies yeah it's I, interesting because, like the, the diva figure is this woman who like doesn't take any mess from anyone and you just have to get out of her way because it's happening. And that energy means something specific when it's coming from a gender that has been systematically oppressed to have a guy sort of say like, now I'm the diva, right? Is not quite the same thing. Um, and we could have a big conversation about why that's problematic. I don't think that's what we want to do on this podcast, but, but if we wanted way, to like, say that there's a problem. But the fact that like part of Deadpool's identity is that he's he's disfigured, right? He's not he's not pretty and he's not desirable except by his, his one special lady. And so is is there something to be said that the fact that like he is he, he's almost like lost his identity as like a traditional heterosexual male? Traditionally prized only for his looks. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a joke in the first movie. Like, what, do you think Ryan Reynolds gets all these jobs because of his acting skills? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, while we're talking about the soundtrack, can we uh, decode a little bit the dubstep references? Because <laughs> Deadpool as Cable in the future is dubstep still a thing. As if dubstep is still a thing now in 2018, <laughs> which is not, right? Or is it? Right. Uh, well, no, he, I don't think it is. No, because he plays the song "Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites" by Skrillex from 2013, right? While he's fighting, whenever he's fighting Cable, and it like comes back multiple times, and it's from five years ago. <laughs> Which this does support my reading that Deadpool is about all the things that, as a teenager, you thought were super awesome, and now and now you're very embarrassed by. <laughs> yeah, and, right. Exactly. When you when you became a man, you put away childish things, right? 
Childish like things bear. like like uh, your teddy bear and and dropping the bass. Um, all right, last question before we go: Do, are, Is your opinion of the Celine Dion uh, Ashes song improved or not improved by its use in uh, it? Not in the um, not in the music video, but uh, in the uh, in the film itself. All right. It was terrible all along. <laughs> it was bad. And everyone who liked it was bad. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. No. Anyone want to step in for Celine Dion? I like the music video better. Yep. Uh, because I like I also like the timing of the music video better because having it come out right after Infinity War was awesome for reasons I won't go into. But which, you know, if you're listening um, and and also because the ability to sort of vamp and be excessive in the context of the video, it almost felt too appropriate in the actual movie. <laughs> like it almost, it seemed to lack some of its over the top quality without Celine Dion actually being there. Uh, so I don't know if it made me like the song less because I like it a lot, but uh, it definitely didn't get the full effect for me in the movie, which was comforting also because you didn't need to watch it again after you saw it the one time, but was also kind of like, you know, it's not the not the strongest. Yeah. A lot. Of the, the other thing going on in the movie is that you're uh, still reeling from the, the 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 merciless killing of Vanessa, and then laughing at all the jokes, um, referencing the fact that like you know, did they really do that? Basically, um, and so that's kind of occupying your main attention, and then the song just becomes background to that. Yeah. Also, like it's a parody. The kind of the pastiche of James Bond imagery, I think, is not necessarily. I don't know. It's not. It's not a James Bond. It is a James Bond song, but it's not a James Bond song, right? Like the, um, I don't know. The James Bond songs are more fatalistic. They're not about suffering in quite the same way uh, that Ashes is about suffering, right? And I think harmonically they feel different. I don't know. I'll ask the musicians and musicologists in the room whether Ashes by Celine Dion. It doesn't feel as jazzy to me. I don't know whether if it's in a different key or if it's more, if it's not as minor or something. Yeah, I think that's sitting around the head. It's not as minor. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, Deadpool was definitely a minor, or at least half of him was in this movie. (laughs) 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 Baby legs. Nailed it. (laughs) Stuck the landing on that one. Thanks very much uh, to our incredible panel of, I think I'll get the alphabetical order right this time, uh, Matt Belenke, Peter Fenzel, Mark Lee, and Jordan Stokes. It was a pleasure to talk with you about Deadpool. And uh, to you, the listener, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably does not deserve